Hello, everybody. Welcome to Therapy Dog Talk. My name is Sherry and my pup's name is Sunny. And we are training to be an animal-assisted therapy team. Today, we have a brand new guest with us, as always. And I'm very excited for her to bring a totally different perspective to us this week. So big thanks to Elise, our guest, for introducing me to uh, Hallie and Buddy's work. And we'll just get her right in here. Which disclaimer, this is not Buddy that I have with me tonight. This is Apgar. This is my current guide dog puppy in training. That um, is okay. We Buddy is at my mom's. Here. Tuesday, we jokingly share custody of Buddy, and I will talk a little bit more about why we do that. But tonight, Buddy is with my mom because I get him tomorrow morning. That is completely okay, and I look forward to hearing more about that. Since you're here, would you like to introduce yourself, buddy, and who you have with you now? Yeah, so I'm Hallie. I work as a recreational therapist in a state-run forensic psychiatric hospital, which sounds a lot scarier than it is. I am also a guide dog puppy raiser for Southeastern Guide Dogs. So after here is my fourth puppy that I have raised. (laughs) 13 months old today. I've had him since he was four months before him. I had a yellow lab named Clark who was recently matched in February with a young girl who's got albinism. Then before Clark, I had Buddy, who we're going to talk about. Before Buddy, the first dog that kind of taught me how to be a puppy raiser was a gold retriever in court. I was actually his puppy finisher. So he was about nine months old when I got him and he knew way more than me. But he taught me how to be a puppy raiser and how to learn so many important things that have made me really love working with dogs and being part of this world prior to me puppy raising kind of my dog who started it all was a little female yellow lab named lulu that i got in college with my brother's dog and i was just supposed to get her for two weeks when she was four years old while my brother was going through a divorce and that two weeks ended up lasting about four and a half years she was with me when i finished college and graduated she moved with me i currently live in georgia and this is where i grew up but she moved with me to colorado after college for about three years. Unfortunately, about four months after she passed her therapy dog testing at age nine, I lost her to cancer. And that's how I started puppy raising. But therapy dogs have always kind of been my heart since I was in school. And I learned working with people with disabilities about how therapy dogs can be so beneficial in terms of helping them, especially with psychiatric settings. When I first moved out to Colorado, my first job after I finished interning was a behavioral health hospital. So it was acute care where we did crisis stabilization. But we had therapy dog volunteers. And when I started, we had three. We had a golden retriever named Daniel, a Boston Terrier named Roxy, and a woman who had Newfoundland. She had two, Kimmy and Kara, who she brought in. That kind of became my pet project. And by the time I left, we had nine therapy dogs and a pig. So (laughs) I really loved working with that program each week and bringing in more people and was super fortunate that my new job allowed me to implement animal assisted therapy there as well. I'll share more about that. But when I started, animal therapy was not there. And Lulu and I kind of restarted the program. Now we have Buddy who does therapy work. We have Apgar who's in the office with me on the days that Buddy is not there, just being a pet dog or excuse me, an office dog. And my individuals learn a lot about the difference between therapy dogs, pet dogs, and service dogs. We also have a rabbit and a guinea pig. And we are getting mini horses to come by for a visit. There's a therapy mini horse program in Savannah that is going to stop by next month. So I've been super fortunate to be able to grow a lot of these programs. I love that. Wow. I didn't even know all this about you. That's so exciting. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm very much the crazy dog lady. I am getting married in January. And the number one role my mom gave me was we will have zero dogs as guests or members of the bridal party at your wedding. Did you accept that rule? Well, considering that I work for the state, so I don't make enough money to pay for my own wedding without assistance, I did accept that rule. What we're going to do instead is, I'm sure you've seen on Pinterest or things like that, they have little figurines that they will put on wedding cakes where it looks like the dog has eaten a chunk out. Okay. Um, and so we will have some figurines to represent our four-legged puppies. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. So I don't know where to start because your journey is so cool. Uh, <laughs> I kind of already answered my first question, which is how do you learn about therapy dogs? Yeah. Uh, so let's start with how you decided to transition Buddy from potentially becoming a guide dog to becoming your dog and a therapy dog. Yeah. So Buddy was born and bred at Southeastern Guide Dogs with the intention of becoming either a guide dog for somebody who is visually impaired, a service dog for veteran with disabilities, or what we call a skilled companion. So if we have dogs that really aren't suited for a working career, maybe they're too dog distracted or they really just kind of lack that initiative to be, you know, on the go all the time. Um, We have a program where dogs can become facility therapy dogs for military hospitals. We also have Gold Star Family Dogs and we place kid companion dogs. So dogs for children with typically visual disabilities. And it's kind of meant to be a little bit of a bridge between them getting used to having a dog and then hopefully one day bridging the gap to them getting a guide dog if that's something that they want when they're older. Okay. Um, So I kind of had a feeling early on I did not have a lot of experience in this field of puppy raising because Buddy was my first one that I picked up as a baby. He was 16 weeks old when I brought him home full time, but he just had some nervousness. Novel objects kind of bothered him and still do. The lawn inflatables that people put out uh, at Halloween and Christmas are his arch nemesis. He hates them. And he would get spooked by some strange things. His big thing was he hated crate training. From day one, he would sleep okay in a kennel, but you could not leave him covered, uncovered, with treats, without treats. He would refuse all food in the kennel. We dealt with that for about nine months. But we tried every trick in the book. A lot of tears were shed on my end because I felt like I was doing something wrong. And Buddy was just like, no, I don't want to do this. He was a great dog when he was 10 months old and still on program. He flew with me all the way to California. Flew like a champ. We had a 13-hour travel day and he acted like he'd done it his whole life. But he was very unfazed by all of the people. And when we were traveling, we, of course, encountered a ton of strange people. We encountered a lot of kids. And he's a fluffy golden retriever puppy. So, of course, everybody has to pet him. So, I just noticed despite the chaos that was going on around him, he stayed really calm, which is why I was so hopeful. By the time he was about nine months old, I had a feeling he was not going to become a guide dog. I had hopes for service work, but I was like, he just would make a really great field companion. Really soft facility work. And then COVID happened. So, Southeastern is a fully 501c3. They don't get any government funding or grants. They are fully run off of donations of other people. So when funding dried up because of COVID, they really had to make some sacrifices. And so they took a look at their dogs they had and said, okay, who are we kind of thinking is not going to make it? Yeah. Buddy was on that list. Buddy was on the chopping block. I knew it was coming. So Buddy got cut four days before his first birthday. And I said, you know, it's very bittersweet. It means we don't have to stress about crate training anymore. We can kind of work within his parameters if he can be left loose or whatever. But now we can look at things that might be more fun for him than working. He got a month off just to learn how to be a pet dog. And he acclimated very quickly to life. <laughs> Took him no time to figure out how the couch worked. 
He's like, oh, yeah, I got this. Yeah, <laughs> or sleeping in the bed or whatever. He also learned some, unfortunately, unsavory habits. He had the best house winners as a puppy. Now he is the worst counter surfer to the point that we have to child lock our cabinet, which is really unfortunate. But I was like, you know, we've put all this work into him. We put all this training. He was a super responsive, obedient dog. Really, really great with people of all shapes and sizes. And he grew up at my psychiatric hospital. So he was really used to people who walked funny, who talked funny, who were really rough with him, who were loud, all of that stuff. Him. So I was like, well, let's see how he's going to do it. I know he can pass the obedience portion. I know he can handle kind of the distractions and stuff. So let's see if he likes it. And he has thrived. He has, like I said, developed some unsavory habits. So now he likes to try to crawl in people's laps or lick them in the fade. My patients think it's funny when he digs in the trash can and grabs paper and runs around with so he thinks it's funny. <laughs> he's very much the class clown. But him getting released was absolutely the best thing that could have happened during COVID because he's just become just a huge asset to our hospital. One of my favorite stories that I have is, you know, COVID happened. My job at the time, because I'm now more in a supervisory role, but I did keep my animal therapy groups because that's where my heart is. But one of the things that we had done previously was we were doing group models. So our animal therapy group was meeting twice a week and we were covering things like hygiene, health and wellness, nutrition, goal setting, Social skills, boundaries, positive reminiscence, that kind of thing. All of that stopped overnight. And suddenly our individuals couldn't come to us for programming. We had to go to them. We were very limited as to what we could do. They couldn't go outside as much. So I started doing one-to-ones because I wanted to keep that going. And I had an individual who probably about six months into the pandemic, we got recommended to do a one-to-one with him. This individual had quit engaging in programming. People don't realize necessarily, but when you're Mental health goes, one of the first things to go is taking care of yourself. So hygiene, self-care, things like that, your appearance. When your mental health is gone, that stuff tends to go with it. Yeah. So this individual wasn't showering. He wasn't changing his clothes. He wasn't washing his sheets. He literally would get up for meals and go back to bed. That's no quality of life for somebody. And this was an individual who previously had done some engagement. So we were trying to find how are we going to motivate him. So I have to go over and meet with him. He had zero desire. And then I brought Buddy over and he was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll come out. But like kept his head down and his hygiene was so poor that his hair had not been brushed or washed in so long that it was starting to separate from his scalp. Oh, wow. it's hanging on. He had a skin infection. It was just hanging on. It was hanging down over his face, just clumps of hair. And so he wouldn't look me in the eye. He'd walk around and hang his head. But that was perfect because Buddy's down there. So Buddy would come right up to his face. Yeah, and he would stand there and Buddy would lick at him and all of that because he didn't shower, didn't change his clothes. He wasn't exactly somebody he wanted to sit too close to because he was a little malodorous. But we just met for about 30 minutes once a week. We started off just small, you know, just talking. Oh, did you ever have dogs? Here's some fun stuff about Buddy. Here's what Buddy likes. And then we started doing some modeling, uh, which is my favorite thing. I get so nerdy and I love talking about this. So because this individual, his hygiene was something that he was struggling with so i could be like you need to go take a shower you need to go take a bath like i'm not coming over here until you do this but that's not going to motivate him um, that we started talking about why it's so beneficial to keep up with buddy's hygiene. buddy's a golden retriever buddy has a lot of hair buddy's favorite thing is to roll outside in the dirt so buddy gets dirty and gross and stinky but buddy also is the dog because he grew up in our puppy program who got body handled a ton so he loves being brushed he loves having his ears cleaned out he tolerates having his nails clipped. It's not his favorite. He loves having his teeth brushed and his face wiped with grooming wipes. 
He loves getting a bath. He'll fall asleep if you give him a bath. So we started doing that. I'd take him over and we would go through the routine. He would hold Buddy while I'd clip his nails and then he would brush Buddy and he would brush Buddy's teeth and he'd clean out Buddy's ears. We just did that for months. We'd go on a walk. And then one day I noticed that he came out and he was wearing different clothes. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is a little different. So then the next week I was like, let's start talking about like, you know, cleaning buddy's collar and why we have to wash his gear and things like that yeah and then a couple weeks later i actually got permission to order white fabric and tie-dye we tie-dyed bandanas okay. for the dogs but we still just kept up with the hygiene and modeling and then one of the things i started talking about is how buddy has to keep his fur cut and i let him kind of watch me we have slick floors in the hospital so i keep the hair between buddy's toes cut really really short so he doesn't slip on the floors when he's running around playing or anything. So we started talking about why it's important to cut it, how it can get tangled, it can get matted, and then it hurts. The same thing with that soft hair behind his ears. We have to make sure we brush it out every day because it yeah. can get tangled and matted. And then sometimes you just have to cut it. A couple weeks later, he went to the beautician and got his hair cut. And then he started washing his hair over a period of about nine months. This individual who wouldn't bathe, wouldn't make eye contact, wouldn't speak to you. We started working with doing reward-based treats and things like that with Buddy. I taught him some of Buddy's cues and he would have to speak loudly and clearly and he'd have to get Buddy's attention. He'd have to be firm with Buddy when Buddy was distracted by squirrels or cats or whatever else was going on outside. So over a period of nine months, I had this individual who was totally disengaged with his environment and really with himself. I mean, he just was kind of existing. Yeah. He was reminding his peers when it was laundry day, if he got a stain on his clothes, he wanted to change immediately and get his clothes in the wash. He was keeping his beard groomed and neat and I said groomed, cut and clean. He was getting haircuts regularly and he would go get haircuts from our beautician and then come and knock on my office door to show me that he got his haircut. And it was very much a low pressure. Like we talked about, oh, well, would you ever want to get a haircut? You like to keep it long. And he said he did. So we talked about how Buddy has long hair, but we still have to take care of it because if it's long and tangled, we have to cut it short and start all over. And this individual ended up being able to discharge from our hospital and Last wow. I heard is doing, my favorite story to tell, but I get goosebumps every time. And he's doing great. That's um, amazing. Yeah, like he's been able to re-enter his community and he's been able to kind of rejoin his community. You know, Buddy didn't take the mental illness away, but just practicing those things on Buddy for 30 minutes once a week and kind of talking about, here's why we do this on Buddy, started kind of connecting those dots of, well, what does this look like for me? And then also Buddy treated him no differently from his first day to his last day. Buddy didn't care when he was stinky and his hair was in his face and he wouldn't look at you and he wouldn't make eye contact and he'd mumble. And Buddy didn't care when he would look him in the eye and all that stuff because either way he was going to give him treats. You know, he was going to love on Buddy. And I think having that just continual support with no pressure. I mean, I tried to put a little bit of pressure but for therapeutic sessions. We weren't ready just for comfort. We were working on specific goals. But Buddy had no pressure attached to him. So when he left, I actually printed out and laminated some pictures of Buddy for him to take with him. And he was like, I'm going to miss him so much. And mm-hmm. I was like, what about me? He's <laughs> like, you too, but he is Buddy's my best friend. And it was like, those moments like that, as both a therapist and as a therapy dog handler, those are kind of those moments that you talk about and you stick with you forever because you realize the full impact this dog reached an individual that I never would have been able to. Yeah. And none of us, for a period of six months, none of us were able to do any. Buddy wormed his way right in and did what only Buddy could do. And it's my favorite. That's a really beautiful story. It's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah.
What do you think Buddy's favorite part of doing therapy dog work is? Buddy loves attention. He is a total <laughs> attention hound and he knows how to work a crowd, which has kind of been funny because he was a little bit more reserved as a puppy on program, but he's really kind of come into his own as a therapy dog. And so he has individuals that he knows really, really well. And then he's got individuals that are new to him, but he very much knows how to get a laugh out of people. So he will, like I said, he'll sometimes go in trash cans and take paper or Buddy likes to sit in chairs at our group room tables with everybody else. And one time I had a stack of treats in the middle of the table and I turn my back and I hear everybody laughing and I turn back and Buddy hasn't moved. But suddenly all those treats are gone. And I was like, okay, who took the treats? And they're like, Buddy did. And I was like, Buddy hasn't moved. Buddy cannot move that fast. So I set him out again and I turned and Buddy was literally the second I would turn, I mean, like something out of a movie, vacuuming up the snacks without, and then just coming back like, well, I didn't do anything. And then he'd look at everybody laughing at him like, I don't know what the fuck But he would have this, I call it his golden gray. He'd have this smirk. His favorite thing is because he likes to work a crowd and to show off. He likes to get something, especially something he knows he's not supposed to have, but sometimes it's his favorite toy, which is a red dinosaur nylabone. And he does what I call his golden grumbles. He'll run up to somebody with it in his mouth. And he'll, it sounds like he's growling, but he just goes you know, like deep in his throat because he wants you to pay attention and, and see it. And if you try to take it, he'll be like, no, 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 this is mine and run away and then run back. He just wants you to be like, oh, what did you got? He loves to work a crowd. And then at the end of the day, we do what we call trick or treat. So after all my individuals have left and he's kind of off the clock, so to speak, I give him his bag of treats. And he will walk around to all the people in our offices who he knows our dog lovers, and we'll walk over and give them his bag of treats so they can give him a treat. And then he'll take it and he'll go to the next person in line. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Yeah. His favorite thing is working a crowd. I love it. Did anything surprise you along his training journey once you made that transition from guide dog to therapy? Dog? Yes and no. So one of the things that was most surprising, I think, is, and I don't know why I didn't think about this, but one of the things we teach our puppies when they're on program, so they're in the guide dog program, is that when they have their vest on, their coat on, we call it their coat, they are in work mode. So <laughs> really, we're working super hard to ignore distractions on the ground, other people trying to distract them, cats, squirrels, birds, other dogs, food, smells, stuffed animals on the shelves as they're walking through a sort, all that stuff. So when Buddy went through and finished his alliance training and started coming into work, I would put his vest on and he would ignore everybody. It was only focused on me. And it took me a little bit to be like, oh, it's because he's in work mode. <laughs> I took the coat off and probably for six or so months, maybe a little bit longer. He did not ever have a coat on or anything like that because I didn't want him to think, well, when this is on, I can't interact with people. But I did want to have some way because after comes to work, Clark at the time was coming to work and they did wear coats. Um, mm -hmm. I want there to be some distinction. So our puppy training coats are blue, but he has a red alliance of therapy dogs vest. And so what's so funny is one of the fastest ways that I got him to go over that was one of the things we teach our puppies is they can't relieve themselves when they're in their coat. They need to be in working mode and we teach them a relieving cue. So our cue is busy. So we take our puppies out. We tell them to go busy, but we never do that when they're in coat. If they're in coat and they start to go on their own, we take the coat off and let them finish. Okay. So the first thing I did to kind of get Buddy over that was I would put the coat on, take him out to go busy with it on and then take it off. And kind of had to reverse his training a little bit. I was not expecting to have to do that. But now he puts his coat on. He knows he's in therapy dog mode. So he's a little less 
inclined to dig through the trash and grab the paper and try to be class clown. But he's a little bit more relaxed than he was when he had his blue Southeastern coat on. Wow. Yeah, that's something I wouldn't have even thought of. Yeah. We talked before about how docs know when they put on their vest or their bandana and that they're going to go work as a therapy dog. But yeah, making that transition from working as a guide dog to working as a therapy dog. Yeah, I I almost had to retrain him what it meant to work, which is not what I expected. It kind of went against everything we did for the first year of his life, which I think was very confusing for him. But, you know, we made it work and he, he does know the difference now that he is still a little bit more of a ham in his training coat than he ever was before. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. It. What's been the most rewarding part for you of doing therapy work? I think just seeing the impact that it's had on our hospital as a whole. So I have obviously talked a little bit about the benefits with our individuals. It has been a really great motivator for our individuals. Okay. So you kind of, again, have that modeling. So we talk about a lot of things that are related to them, but not talking about them directly. And that sometimes is a lot easier when they don't feel like the spotlight's being put on them. Okay. Then, honestly, I think just the impact that it's had on my coworkers. One thing that's been super interesting, I recently took over the supervisor role of my department when my former supervisor left in November. So now sometimes I have to have, you know, harder conversations or we have to talk about things or my staff mm-hmm. talking to me with problems they're having and they can be stressed out. And having Buddy or Apgar in the office, I've just found is so beneficial for them. Yeah. Because they are able to kind of express their frustrations and, you know, Apgar is still very much goofy puppy so he's just a good comedic relief but buddy's really good about if somebody is very stressed like kind of wanting to crawl up in their lap he does not realize he's 65 pounds he very much wants to be the size of your dog and be a lap dog i can pick him up and hold him like a baby and i used to have co-workers who would pick him up and cradle him like a baby over their shoulder yeah for some stress relief so i think having his presence has just been so beneficial especially during covid it has just been a wild two years working in healthcare and working in psychiatric healthcare. You know, our individuals yeah. can't go anywhere and we can't take them off campus because we can't risk them. And so because I work in forensics, a lot of their court dates have been postponed right. repeatedly. And so it's super frustrating. So I think having Buddy around just for even a quick interaction with if they're having a bad day. Oh, can I pet Buddy really quick? I get people who knock on my door constantly all day wanting to see the dogs. Aww. Yeah. So it's just been so good to have at our hospital. Yeah. That's really great. So you take Afgar to work with you too? Yes. So Afgar comes on the days that Buddy is not there. I mean, Afgar's role is a little bit different. Are you talking about you? <laughs> He's learning more office manners. So he is learning how to settle down when I'm doing office work. He has a bed that he can lay on if he's kind of loose in my office. He also has a bed next to a tie-down. Then he has a crate versus Buddy, who when he comes in, I put him on the bed with the tie-down. Sometimes I tie him down. Sometimes I don't. He thinks he's always tied down. So he just hangs out there. But Akbar goes in. And it's really good because Akbar comes to meetings with me. He'll sometimes interact with the individuals when he's out of his coat. I'll let them say hi. But he's learning how to settle in an office environment. That's really great because my hospital's super distracting. So he's learning how to settle despite all of the distractions. But he gets those same exposures to people who walk funny, talk funny, sound funny, can be a little rough with him. Yeah. around screaming. We have basketballs bouncing all day because my office is right behind our gym again we have the rabbit and the guinea pig he meets a whole variety of individuals so hopefully that will be super helpful for him in his future career whatever it is yeah if he decides that working at all is not for him he will probably come home and 
who gets to be the next therapy dog for us. <laughs> when will you know for him if he gets to move forward in guide dog work or if he will be career changed as well? At any point, as of right now, he is expected to go what's called IFT, which means in for training sometime this summer. Could be as early as July, because we know get the list about eight weeks ahead of time and our June list is out. So as early as July, as late as September. And the first thing that he'll do when he gets to campus is they'll do full medical exams. So hips, eyes, elbows, heart, to make sure he's medically fit for duty. Then they'll do an assessment on him to see a little bit of a rating of what percentage chance do we think he has to be working dog? What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? What do we know he needs to work on? Then the guide dog string and the service dog string will look at him. He'll start with one of those. And if he starts in one track and isn't really enjoying it, they might try him in another. He doesn't like working at all. The public service. So if he's really distracted, they might look at him to see if he would be a good bomb and arson candidate. Our children and teens program might look at him for kid's companion or gold star family, or if he has a medical issue that we're not aware of, or if he just really is not showing any affinity for wanting to be anything other than a pet, then they will fully career. And at that point, puppy raiser gets first right of refusal in most cases. And if the puppy raiser refuses, then our dogs go up for public adoption. Last I heard, they had to close the public adoption list because it was about 400 people deep. Wow. Uh-huh. How far out is that, do you think, in terms like years? Well, I say that and it can depend. But yeah, typically years because they are very particular about making sure that they're fitting the right dog with the right family. Because our dogs are career changed for a reason. And so they need to make sure that whatever family they're going to is going to make sure they're a good fit. And that's happened. I mean, had I not adopted Buddy, Buddy would have gone into the public adoption program. And they're really stringent on what homes they're allowed to go to. So he would have gone to a great home. We were just super fortunate that we had the opportunity to fit his needs. Because like I said, Buddy has some crate issues, but Buddy also eats the house now. So <laughs> a lot of his crate stuff has to do with separation anxiety. And okay. so obviously, because I work in healthcare, I cannot work from home. Right. Uh, my mom does. My mom works in IT for a hospital, not mine, okay. but a different one. And so that's why we jokingly share custody because she works from home most of the time. And then she also has a full-time pet dog at home. So we joke, her name is Ellie. And we joke that that's Buddy's emotional support, Ellie. <laughs> he very much relies on her when we have to leave the house and leave him home alone. My yeah. mom has a kennel fit for a mastiff that Buddy, who is about 60 pounds, and Ellie, who is about 50 pounds, both go in together. They have kind of their separate sides. And then in the wintertime, Ellie, who is a hound lab mix, cuddles up to Buddy because he's very warm. Oh. And the rest of the time, Ellie takes the blankets and goes to the other end of the kennel and lays away from I love it. Yeah. Elise wanted to know what's a gold star family when you're looking for. Yeah. So a gold star family is a family who has lost a family member in combat. Uh, so these are in the military. And I will apologize. I'm not as familiar with this, so I might be using a couple terminology wrong, but generally it's somebody who's lost a family member in combat. We recently had a dog from our group named Bruno, Big Yellow Lab, who is actually Apgar's half-uncle, who went to a mother whose son died while he was in active duty military, and she connected with another Gold Star mom who had a Gold Star dog. So they are kind of like emotional support. They have no public access rights. They're pet dogs. They can't cross the home. You can't take them in places where pet dogs are not allowed, but they're just a good, like I said, a skilled companion. So Bruno, his nickname was the Marshmallow. 
Um, okay. and he was a big moose of a dog. He was like 85 pounds, but just <laughs> the sweetest thing on four legs. As we all know, having a dog like that around are just so beneficial for health and our well-being. Yeah. Um, so our Gold Star family dogs are meant to kind of bring comfort and support and some joy back to some families that have really paid the ultimate price for our country. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for someone who's interested in training their dog to be a therapy dog? Oh, gosh. I've learned a lot over the years. Lulu, I trained kind of myself. She was a little bit older, and I wish I knew then what I knew now. So the working with her and setting her up for success. I think the big thing is just the same advice that I tell people who want service dogs is not every dog is cut out for it, and you have to be okay with that. Clark, my last Southeastern dog that I raised, who's now a working guy, everybody asked me, oh, if he gets career trains, are you going to keep him? The answer was yes. Thankfully, he's found a really great career and a wonderful, wonderful handler. But then everybody's like, oh, is he going to become a therapy dog too? And I was like, I don't think Clark would want to be a therapy dog. Clark could be a little standoff. And he was a little body sensitive, so he didn't like people up in his face. He didn't like people messing with his feet. He really did not enjoy being brushed or pet in certain spots. And he was a little particular about some things like that. He would snuggle up with me, but he wouldn't snuggle up with everybody. And so I was like, he just would not enjoy being a therapy dog and having people kind of all over him all the time. Yeah. So I think just recognizing that and don't overexpose your dog. A lot of people, especially when they get puppies, they think, oh, socializing my puppy means taking them everywhere. And it doesn't. Socializing your puppy can mean things like putting weird things in your home. So if you've got a tarp, Put a tarp in the middle of your living room. Let your puppy walk over that and check it out because it feels weird on their feet. It's a different color. It makes noise. It gives under them in a different way. All of my puppies learn to walk over bubble wrap. I'm the person who, when they all reach a certain point when they're eating, I'll pop bubble wrap behind them just to kind of, you know, get them used to loud noises and things like that. I'll put boxes out. I'll put different things out just to kind of let them check out different I did for things. I did that a lot with Clark, especially because when I got Clark was May of 2020. So like six weeks into the pandemic. So we couldn't do a lot of his public access training for the first three months. So we had to make up for that deficit in the home. Yeah. So we had to do a lot of exposures in the home with noises and underfootings and things touching him and smells. But don't overexpose your puppy or your dog. Mm-hmm. You know, dogs yeah. are like us. They can get overwhelmed. And also learn to read dog body language. People think like if your dog's panting and it's indoors and it's air conditioned, your dog's been not been running around. Everybody's like, oh, he's so happy. He's smiling. But your dog is stressed. Yeah. Your dog is exhibiting a very obvious sign of stress, you know, or people think like if they're yawning, oh, they're so tired or if they're stretching, oh, they're so tired. No, your dog is trying to relieve some stress, relieve some tension, you know, and for me, I think a mild amount of stress is good for dogs. It's like us, you know, there are things they can't avoid. Bunny exhibited some stress. We had about a two-month break from January to March where we weren't doing programming again. When I brought him back into the hospital this year, he hadn't worked in eight weeks. And so suddenly being thrown back into him, I noticed he was exhibiting a little bit of stress. And he got over it really quickly. And I didn't coddle him. I let him work it through it, kept it positive and kept it consistent. Yeah. But yeah, don't overexpose your puppy. Not every dog wants to be a therapy dog and learn how to read your dog's body language because your dog needs to know that when they're communicating with you, hey, I'm kind of done or I need a break, they need to be able to trust that you're going to give them. And that's going to make them a better therapy dog because they're going to hit their threshold and be like, okay, we're done. And now I'm not stressed and we're going to go and relax and I can work this off. Because they know they can tell you when it happens. 
Yeah. Yeah. One really interesting thing that I learned, and you may know this with therapy dogs, but one of the things I learned when I started first working with therapy dogs is that so cortisol is the stress hormone that our bodies Mm -hmm. emit when we're stressed. Dogs can smell that, which is why you can have medical alert dogs for psychiatric service dogs. As we're petting dogs, our oxytocin level will increase, which Mm -hmm. is that bonding chemical that promotes, you know, kind of those warm, fuzzy feelings, helps us to calm down a little bit. And our cortisol levels drop. Dog cortisol levels will actually increase. So if they're interacting with somebody who's stressed, our stress levels go down because it's, they're not literally absorbing it. But as we're interacting with them and physically engaging with them, their stress levels go up. And so making sure they've got that time to stretch, yawn, take a break, play, kind of mm-hmm. shake off the stress is so important for them. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've been talking for a while, but is there anything else that you would like to share while you're here? I just, you know, I am very much the crazy dog lady, but it is just the most rewarding thing. Everybody, especially when they find a puppy raise, they're like, oh, how can you do that? That's so hard or that's so great that you do that. That's something I'd never be able to do. But I am just so thankful that I get to hang out with these dogs. Each one of the boys that I've had from Southeastern have been just such a great blessing in my life. And I've been super fortunate to learn a lot from them, a lot of patience, a lot of resilience, a lot of not caring what other people think. Because since I have these puppies and they go in places like restaurants and grocery stores and movie theaters, all eyes are kind of on you. And so I just really learned how to be a lot more confident in myself. And then with Buddy, it's just, I always tell everybody, like, just the most unexpected, coolest thing was him getting released from the program it felt very devastating and it very much felt like a failure not on his part but on mine because i was like there's got to be something that we could have done to make him more successful and there wasn't he just was not meant for that life and that's okay and so i think really seeing him come into his own with therapy work has just been the most unexpected wonderful surprise and it did make him more successful yeah Yeah. And so I hope that we have many, many more years of therapy work to go. He's currently coming to my hospital. I have that additional insurance policy so he can come to work. And he does some work at my old high school during finals week for stress relief. But I'm hopeful that one day maybe we can do some stuff at the airport or at some of the local first responder stations or things like that and kind Mm -hmm. of expand his therapy dog repertoire. I'm just so thankful for all the doors that he's opened for Mm us at the hospital with animal therapy and just for me. He's a good boy, and I'm very lucky to have him. I love that. Well, make sure you tell Buddy and Ellie, his emotional support, yeah. Ellie, that his we said hello. And thank you so much to you and Amber yeah. for being here, and good luck on your dog treat wedding. Well, thank you so much for having us on. This has been so fun. If you guys want to follow us, we are at going far with underscore Apgar, and Buddy has his own hashtag. He's hashtag Buddy Worthington, and you can follow us on his hashtag if you want to see what he's up to. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was really great Thanks. to meet you and hear about you and your pets. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.